Neil was the, the headed up the youth work here, and I was a very green youth leader. Neil then became a pastor here, and then he moved to take charge of leading King's Church Wickham, which is, what, 25, 28 years ago, I think it said on the, the website. Anyway, but Neil is... Neil is a great guy. He's an inspirational guy to be around. He, he sort of makes me want to do my best somehow. He has that effect on me. He's passionate. He's authentic. He's totally genuine. And he's quite a nice chap as well. <laughs> so, Neil, would you, shall we welcome Neil? Would you like to come up, Neil? <laughs> Let us pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for your church, and we thank you for Neil. And we pray now you will speak through him to us for the upbuilding of your church and for your glory. And we ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's, it's one of those moments, isn't it, where you look around and you wonder who he's speaking about. But um, uh, Amersham, it's just great to be with you today and um, it's lovely to be here and for Des and I it's an incredible joy on such an occasion like this and I know, I know most of you didn't invite me, that's alright um, it's not a problem but I just want, it is such a joy to be with you and to be in this place of worship today um, of course Paul I do want to thank you for the privilege of speaking on such an occasion as this, um, and it, it is. And I, did Jane have anything to do with this, or is it just you? No, Jane had nothing to do with it. I'm sorry about that, Jane. So anyway, it's um, it's great to be here. I remember. I better put my watch out because you don't have a clock over there. We have a clock in our place. Oh, I see. Oh, it's there, is it? I'll put my watch back on. Okay. I remember an elders meeting um, many, many years ago, and yet uh, uh, decades we're talking here, and uh, it was um, yet another conversation about a new building, and uh, putting up a new building. And Bill Elliott said, I think Ron's Road would be a great place. I think that's where God wants us. And I remember thinking, not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. And then I, I thought, um, to my shame... I think I was quite dismissive of even the statement. Bang on, Bill. Made a good point. And, um, and look what you've achieved. It's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's quite remarkable. You may be used to it, but whenever people come in here, this is a testimony of what you've done and what you've been a part of. And Paul and Liz, I want to say, you, you, where are you? There you are. You, um, you paid no small part in this at all. I mean, your, your contribution here in terms of your faith has been incredible. I watched this and I thought, boy, have you got faith, you guys. And um, I, I was so impressed with it. So I commend you. Faith, perseverance, you brought to King's Church Amersham. It's been a major plus factor. So on a personal note, um, King's, Des and I are so grateful for the love and faithfulness and patience uh, that you invested in us over many years. Right, we're going to 1 Peter 5. We'll be there in a minute, and uh, the words will come up on screen in a moment. 
Uh, but if you've got your Bible, it's always a good place to know where 1 Peter 5 is. So um, have a, open your Bibles, uh, that gives you a chance to do that. And we'll come to the words in a moment. Hang on for the words. Can we just take them off and then we'll be back on? Because I just want to give you a little bit of context first. Okay? Um, he's writing to Christians uh, who are under fire. They, you will have this word suffering 11 times in this letter that Peter writes. Uh, their newfound faith in Jesus Christ has uh, received considerable backlash and persecution. Families, communities, authorities, they've, re- they've got it all in the neck. And suffering, you'll find, runs right the way through from beginning to the end. And at the same time, Peter is greatly concerned about how are these Christians going to live in this atmosphere of suffering? How are they going to do this? And he repeatedly reminds them, you're pilgrim people, you're foreigners, you're uh, strangers, you're resident aliens, you know, heaven is your inheritance. He reminds them of that. They are to be a blessing, but heaven is their inheritance. We're called to be a blessing, people. Wherever we are, whatever situation, we're called to be a blessing. And he tells them to live in that way, so much so that people will be won over. And I suspect most of you experienced something of being under fire, and, um, and some probably a lot more. Winning people is rarely instantaneous. It's of, um, if it's of any encouragement, and I haven't even, we haven't started here yet, if it's any encouragement, let me just say this, that Des and I have seen more acceptance of our faith in Jesus Christ from family and from long-standing friendships, and we've even had requests for prayer, not over the phone, but personal one-to-one requests for prayer. We've seen more of that in the last 18 months than we've seen in the previous 40 years. Listen, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't, don't you back off. God is patient. I mean, he was patient with you. Why shouldn't he be patient with our friends and families, eh? If they're special to us, they're special to him. So he talks about this, about winning over people. So be patient, stick in there. 1 Peter 1, Verses 1, 2, we're going to do 1, 2, 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who, will, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I thought just today would be a good opportunity to speak about leadership, church leadership. And I realize leadership is, um, in the church, goes right across the board, so we're talking small groups and worship groups and children's work and youth work and all these things. It's, it's leadership. But, and I, please, I incorporate all of that. But for simplicity's sake, um, I'm going to narrow the focus to elders. 
Now, um, much of what I can be talking about can, of course, be applied across the board. So take a hold of it, please. And uh, if you're in any church, Christian leadership in any dimension or a church or parachurch organization, take out what's applicable. And the first thing you want to notice here is that that, um, this letter is written to churches. They have elders. So the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, a huge area, many churches, elders. They have elders in there. He addresses the elders. No qualification, no hesitation. Today, speaks to the elders. And in, and in, when you look at New Testament uh, leadership, you'll see that there are three words there that constantly come up, and they're all in this passage. Elder, overseer, shepherd. And each word brings a different emphasis to the gift of eldership, so that in one sense they're not interchangeable. And yet they do refer to the same office. So I just want you to have a bit of understanding about that. And elders, you probably thought this was all about Paul today. Wrong. This is about team. This is about team. And this guy does team. That's what he does. He does it really well. He does team. So I know it's elders, but I grab what you can, everybody else, please. And I know he leads... The team, but it is still a team. Elders are always referred to in the plural in the New Testament. And although team for the purists here is not a biblical word, it does represent a biblical concept. It's unmissable. What you do, and, and Jane too, you are great team people. You just are good team people. And so... Uh, you do team really well. It, you can't find, it's unmissable in the New Testament, this. If you go to Acts, the book of Acts, they did everything in team. On one occasion, Paul goes on ahead, but he's, he waits for the others to catch up with him. They do everything in team. You know, Paul has just been up to Ghana, but he didn't go alone. He went with Julian. You do things in team, my friends. Paul, uh, Jesus with his disciples... What did he do? He's never, no Lone Ranger stuff. He sent them out in twos. Off you go, in twos. Here, in one case, in one case, he sent them off in two to collect a donkey. I mean, what was wrong with a donkey? I'm thinking, my goodness me. But he collected twos, even a donkey. So I want to highlight just three things. Um, shepherd the flock. Be examples to them. And exercise oversight willingly and eagerly. And I'm going to start right in the middle because that's where most of my stuff is really. Verse 3. And it's um, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Elders are to be an example to the people. So I really want to be very practical. And um, in Acts 20, the apostles, the apostle Paul, as he is about to go back to Jerusalem, he's going back to Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem uh, amongst the religious leaders. He's public enemy number one, and he's not got a clue what's going to face him. But he got a feeling they ain't going to be great. And he has this farewell 
time with the elders from Ephesus, and he calls them together. It's quite emotional. And he says to them, keep watch over yourselves and the flock. That's his line. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock. So the first thing is here, keep watch over yourselves. Uh, what Elders get a hold of this, and you probably do already anyway, but anybody you know, in leadership and, and Christians, this is your first calling. Keep watch over yourself. Peter Scazzaros, the, uh, he, was a, he was a church leader whose wife one day turned to him and announced she was leaving the church. And he writes this. He says, when a church member says, I'm leaving the church, most pastors don't feel very good. But when your wife of nine years says it, your world is turned upside down. I wonder if you've ever felt that, Jane. But no, we don't answer that. Don't answer that. And he writes this book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And one of his lines is this. Most Christians, I'm afraid, are self-conscious and not enough self-aware. Self-conscious, but not enough self-aware. Most Christians mean leaders too. They're not exempt. Most of us who've been in leadership have seen this. I can assure you leaders are not exempt. So, elders, I'm just reminding you, probably you well know this. I regularly lead an exploring leadership course at uh, High Wycombe, and we get to this point where we talk about self-awareness. In fact, we do it on the first, first evening, self-awareness. There is never a time, and, and never fails to bring people to a place of self-awareness that they've never been to before. They suddenly discovered that they'd never asked questions, that they should have asked questions. And one of the things about self-awareness is, and uh, Schizero says in his book, you have to ask the why question, or what is going on here? Why? What is going on here? Why did I react like that? Why do I get defensive when someone wants to question something I said? Why do I get defensive? By the way, you don't have to practice this today. Okay. But what, why am I so driven? Why, why do I need to succeed so badly? Why do I do that? Why am I so mean? Why do I want to put my hands in my pocket and give? Why? Do, why? You got to ask the questions. You know, if we're leading others, and we are, how can we enter somebody else's world if we won't enter our own? We have to be in there. That's why the Psalms are such a great help to us, you know. They're brutally and painfully honest. You want to be in them regularly. They'll tell you things of where they are. And they don't mind saying it. Elders, if you want to be an example, keep watch over yourselves. You need to be self-aware. This fellow and I, Paul, have spoken on many occasions and I can assure you, he is not afraid to ask searching questions of himself. That is a huge blessing. I see leaders who never ask that questions. Never ask questions of why they are like that. They don't do that. I see them. This fellow does. He's not afraid to do it. He's not afraid to go to these places. And from a personal point of view, Paul, I want to say this, I... You have an ease about yourself. You have a wonderful openness with others. And your earnestness is evident. 
It's engaging. It's very engaging. And it's hugely authentic. I went on a... It's of great value, Paul. Uh, A church, I hope you realize what you've got. I went on exploring... I went on a leadership course. And um, it was a number of years ago. And I... I recommended that Paul went on it. So I recommended it to him, and I recommended it to the leaders of the course, and he went on the course. Um, and from what I heard from them, they said, I mean, it, I get some general feedback, and it was obvious he was a leader. I mean, they all picked that up. See, Amishim, if he wasn't going to lead here, he's going to lead somewhere. It's just, just the manner of the person you have. You want to embrace that. Andrew Wilson posted a blog on Think Theology website. He said, the most attractive quality in a leader, and he was talking about, he gave this article, most attractive quality in a leader, and he was toying around with things like Christ-likeness and, and love, and he thought, well, well how do, what does that look like? And he said, uh, um, prayerfulness and humility. He came up with this phrase, and um, it's from C.S. Lewis. It's the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, and it's the, the last battle. And there's this phrase, it's a most attractive quality, and he pulls out this phrase, is that the inside is bigger than the outside. Just think about that. It's a great line, isn't it? That the inside is bigger than the outside. And when you see people who've got the inside bigger than the outside, you see it in their homes, and you see it in their families, and you see it in their marriages. And you see it in the controversies they avoid. And you can see it in the manner of conversations that they have with people one-on-one. It's where their lives are not inflated. And their prayer life is probably bigger than their stage presence. Where the inside is bigger than the outside. I think that's a fair description of Paul. Where his inside is bigger than his outside. We're not going to talk sizes here, by the way. Okay? And Peter Lewis in his book, um, The Glory of Christ, makes a similar remark about Jesus. You know, the closer I get, the bigger he becomes. In Psalm 42, the writer pants for streams of water. He says, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you. And you know, there are a number of things going on in that psalm. But this writer has never, never asked God to change his situations. My soul longs for the living God. I'm hungry for you. His thirst is for God. Paul, I, I pray, you know, that, that, will go, that, that will be a thing. And you lead a leadership team who are craving for God. You, you cannot do leadership as a hobby. You can't do it. Very central here. We were at a conference um, a couple of weeks ago. Could hardly stand in the presence of God. I got, I, the floor was the easiest place to be. My friend um, Richard, he he was so hammered. Is that the right word to use? I'm asking. But the Holy Spirit so got hold of him. He could hardly walk. And after the meeting that we had, 
Um, I, I said to John, we'll go and eat. He'll be ages. And, uh, and when he did come in, he was walking along the wall because the wall was holding him up. That's the only way he could stand. My soul craves for the living God. I want God. I want that stream of water. Leaders, you can't do without this stuff. You've got to be craving here for the living God. Be an example to the flock. Just a note of caution here. I'm going to just move a little bit on caution here. It's often perceived, by the way, people hear this, please, that the senior pastor, lead elder, needs to know everything in the church. Wrong. <laughs> he doesn't. He needs to know what is important, but he doesn't need to know everything. You need to take it to the people who are responsible. Otherwise, he's sitting with all this stuff. Somebody came to me the other day and they said, um, I'm not sure if you're the right person to speak to, but I've got this situation that's arisen. And, da, 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 da. and I said, you're right. I'm not the right person to speak to. There's <laughs> time. Time is really important. Be careful what you give your time to, Paul. And, and time. It affects all of us. I read this book by... Um, Kevin DeYoung, and it's called Crazy Busy. He's a pastor, and he writes all these books. <laughs> and he, he's in a conversation with a couple of men who are talking about their struggles with the internet. And no, no it wasn't porn. It wasn't porn. They, they were addicted to social media. Hear this, everybody. They were spending hours on blogs and mindlessly surfing the web. It was an addiction. And he writes, at the time he didn't get it. He just didn't get it. Ah, a few years later, he got it. He gives an example of a chap called uh, Nicholas Carr. And he reflects on how his attitude changed towards the net. He said, he writes of him, he loved the speed of the internet, the ease, the hyperlinks, the search engines, the sound, the videos, everything he realized that the net had control over his life in a way that his traditional PC never did. His habits were changing, morphing to accommodate a digital way of life. He became dependent on the internet for information and activity. He found his ability to pay attention declining. At first, he said, I thought it was just middle-aged rot, but my brain, I realized, wasn't drifting. It was hungry. It was demanding to be fed the way the net fed it. And the more it was fed, the hungrier it became. Even when I was away from my computer, I yearned to check emails, click links, do some Googling. I wanted to be connected. Watch it. People, watch it. He says, I've noticed the same things happening to me for the last few years. I can't seem to work for more than 15 minutes without getting the urge to check my email, glance at a blog, or get caught up in Twitter. It's great, this. It's really... And then he, he, he continues, and he says, um, you, you, my friend, you, you, you see it going on all the time. I've just got some photos. Could you put the first one up, um, Jenny? You've been fantastic today, by the way, because um, what they've done in these photos, we'll, we'll do one from... We'll go one at a time in a moment. What they do in these photos is they take away the phone. And so you just see the person without the phone, but the phone is there. 
and um, my PowerPoint failed today. And so Jenny's just just piled this together very quickly. So thank you. Um, can we do the do the next one? That's oh, great. It's lovely to see our kids get on with one another like that, isn't it? This is another great family time. Oh, praise God for family times like that. It's quiet, I understand. But, you know, and then uh, the, the, the next one. Oh, that's an interesting one. I, that's a worth a pause, isn't it? Have a look. Uh, ever been there? Uh, that's a, just a question. That's all I'm, all I'm asking. Uh, let's try the last one, shall we? Let's try this one. Wow. They are engaged, married, and the phone. It's, uh, watch it. We have an insatiable appetite to, con- appetite to connect every day, every hour of every day. Thanks, Jenny. Really appreciate it. He says, we're always engaged with our thumbs, but rarely engaged with our thoughts. We keep downloading information, but rarely get down into the depths of our hearts. Leaders are not immune in this culture. Please get hold of that. He's a senior pastor, this guy. Everyday life is full of stuff. Just be careful what you fill it with. Paul, your time is precious. Careful what you fill your time with. It's inflexible time. It's inelastic. No matter how much the demand, the supply of time will not go up. The net life can make it very shallow. We're all on it. Now the, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The shepherd leads the sheep to quiet waters because actually sheep do not like busy waters. They don't like it. They like calm water. A few months ago, I was awake in the middle of the night, and I was thinking about this psalm, Psalm 23, and and half a dozen other things going on at the time, and I, I just focused on the psalm. And I was in one of those moments where I was sort of half asleep. I thought I was asleep, but I wasn't sure if I was asleep. You know what, I don't know if... You know, you look at me as if I'm really odd. Okay. Um, but I'm sure some of you have been in this place. And um, I, had this, I was aware of this picture in my mind of a hand outstretched, inviting me to be led. And sort of in this place, I just stretched out my hand. And I put it in this hand. And this peace poured over my life, just poured over my life. I experienced such a peace, not pushy, just gracious. He leads me beside quiet waters and restores my soul. Let him lead you. Paul, let him lead you. And let him lead your thinking too, because he will. Albert Schweitzer said, example is not the best way to influence influence people. It's the only way. Be an example to the flock. I'm looking at the clock. Elders are to exercise oversight willingly and eagerly. 
That's what the Bible said. That's what they said. We want to be willing and eager in our oversight as shepherds of the flock. I think when Jesus called his sheep, I don't think it's very flattering. Um, you know, if you, I used to live on the edge of Dartmoor, and um, the locals always had uh, a word just before sheep, and it was called stupid. And so, and every road, as far as sheep were concerned, was a zebra crossing. Excuse the metaphors being mixed here. And, and furthermore, sheep would have this incredible joy of eating grass right at the very side of the road. I mean, how stupid can you get? But they, they, they did that. But Jesus wasn't daft when he said that. Because Isaiah writes, we all like sheep have gone astray. They were prone to wandering off. And the leaders, you'll find people are prone to wandering off. You need to lead willingly and eagerly. And there'll always be things that, that are going on for you. Lead willingly and eagerly. He is their Lord, not yours. You are not their Lord. He is their Lord. We're just servants. It's important how we lead, willingly and eagerly. I know a number of pastors, and never ever, has ever one of them said, this is the easiest job I've ever had in my life. Nobody has ever said that, not one. In fact, I was talking to one last week, him and his wife. I said, how's it going? And he said, it's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. He'd been through a tough season. Willingly and eagerly. Ben Patterson says this. One year I was on vacation in Minnesota. I dreaded the day when I would have to go back to church to work. The problems seemed endless and insoluble. I was suffering. My children were suffering. My wife was worried about us all. When the day came to leave, I loaded everybody up in the van, set my jaw, gritted my teeth, headed home, grimly determined to obey the will of God. And that is exactly what I did for the first few days. I was home. I did something I've since come to think of as as an oxymoron. I grimly obeyed the will of God. Then one evening in a prayer meeting, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Ben... I don't need this. If you can't obey me with anything more than grim determination, you'll just make yourself and everybody else miserable as you bravely do the will of God. If you can't serve me with joy, forget it. Go get a real job somewhere. (laughs) I like that. There can be no such thing as grim obedience. Willingly, you've got to find your joy in the Lord. You will have to find your joy in the Lord. Leaders, you've got to find your joy in the Lord. Because somebody's going to stretch it. It's just the sheep, isn't it? And you can't leave half-heartedly. But it is a choice. Whether you're going to willingly and eagerly. I move quickly. Passage in uh, Psalm 23, and it's all about the shepherd. You know, and he leads the flock. Here's, here's where I want to finish. So I'm just doing a bit of cut and pasting here. Because all sorts of leaders have different gifts. But I know this man's heart here. He has a shepherding heart. And every leader, if you haven't got a shepherding heart, don't do it. You'll kill the people and you'll kill yourself. So you have a shepherding heart. 
But this is what our great good shepherd Jesus said. He said, I have other sheep that are not in this pen. I must bring them also. We have a phrase at High Wycombe. It's called, we're in High Wycombe for High Wycombe. And the same could be said of you. Why are you here? You're in Amersham for Amersham. Just get it. You're in Amersham for Amersham. You are in this town for this town. This town has tens of thousands of people who are clueless about God. We have a mission. And I know this man's heart. Here's a heart for people. Not that it's just in here. Jesus was shepherding at another pen. There's another pen. And it's outside this room. We need a heart for that. Otherwise, we'll just get small-minded. And there's nothing like the church for doing that. We'll argue about things that are not worth arguing about. My friends, we have a... And there's another pen. In the Lord of the Rings, this little band of hobbits, they go on a hair-raising journey. And uh, they... They, they find their way to this place called Rivendell. They get there by the skin of their teeth. They barely have a breath left. And Rivendell is misty mountains and waterfall and warm beds. Nourishing food, beautiful gardens. It's paradise. And then there's, in there you'll find there's this unlikely alliance of men, elves, elusive wizard, hobbits, dwarf, And they all make up the fellowship of the ring. Their mission is dangerous. Their mission is to destroy the ring. Their mission requires that they go to a place called Mordor to be willing to lose their life for the life of the world. Life in Rivendell, if you live there too long, they'll forget the mission. And they'll prefer the fellowship to the mission. And they were all wrapped up in this lovely place called Rivendell. Mark Buchanan writes this book, Your Church is Too Safe. My friends, if we prefer fellowship to mission, and we won't confront the Satan's domain and demand that he gives way, we won't invade the heart of darkness in this place and overthrow it in the name of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do? You've got change coming. You've got change coming. My friends, you've got change coming. Don't get in the way of it. It'll run you over. You want to embrace the change. You've got a mission here in Amersham. You're in Amersham for Amersham. God, let that be the cry of your hearts. I'm talking about the whole church. Let it get your heart Otherwise, you'll have little questions about what's going on in here. And the big deal is out there. That's your mission. Don't lose mission for the sake of fellowship. Don't do it. You want to argue. If you want to argue, argue about the important things, not the little things. Amen? Please. That's his heart. I'm not saying it wasn't Paul's either, because I think it was. But how he'll do it will be different, because you've got a different man leading the work here. How he will do it will be different. Embrace the change, but 
please, Amishan, get on mission. I'm not saying you're not, but just get on mission. I saw you had a beer night the other night. I thought, I like that. Beer night. I think I was invited as well, so I missed it. But you, you want to connect with what's going on out there. That's the mission. This is why you are here. Don't miss it, please. Don't miss it. Paul, break the ground. And embrace, my friends, embrace change. Don't stand in the way of it. It'll hurt you. Embrace it. And get a heart for why you're here. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Yes, band, do come up. We're going to close in a minute with a final song.